Good morning. Please have your Bible ready. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. The New Testament teaches in local churches where there are qualified men willing to serve, the ideal is to have overseers, also called shepherds or elders. In churches where there are already elders, but especially in churches going through a period of time without elders, this passage needs attention. Not with impatience or haste, but like any other part of the New Testament, it needs attention. With the same calm and careful discipline we would give to any other passage in the Word of God. But also may I add, young men need to know these qualities. Young men need to know these qualities. And I'll add, parents need to read this passage to their young men. And then I'll add, all men, even men who do not expect to become elders, need to study the character descriptions in this valuable passage. In fact, all of us need to give attention to the character descriptions given by God in this passage. It has often been said that except for the family requirements, this passage is a study that constitutes good character. So these are reasons why this passage needs our attention. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, apt to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Here's where I want to begin, a warning and a perspective, and they're related. The warning is, while it is true that each individual qualification is part of the whole, if we isolate and separate one or two of these, we can lose our balance. We need to guard against that. The perspective is these are parts of a whole description of character that is consistent with leadership and spiritual health. Here's what can happen. We can get so involved and passionate about one or two of these, we slight the others. 
And we develop a dogma or a militance that results in losing our balance. A better approach is to consider each individual qualification to be a part of the whole. And the whole is character that is consistent with good leadership in the local church. I need to also explain, when we come to a passage like this, this is not a time, and this is not the purpose of the passage, to generate a whole bunch of discussion. This is not the time to talk about specific men, or what we've observed in other churches, or hypotheticals that may suggest or imply something critical of some person or church. We are not currently at a place to appoint men, but one step in getting to that place in the future is to study this passage. My approach is not to dissect each word and phrase for 30 minutes as if they're separate, but to go through a definition of these parts of the whole. And the whole is character that is consistent with good leadership in the local church. Notice, the same is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. We must be very clear and guarded anytime we talk about aspirations and ambitions in the kingdom. There must not be any dimension of carnal competition among God's people. The local church is not like the secular business world where people compete and may in fact maneuver and try to position themselves for a higher place or being better than others in some boastful way. None of that should be in our thinking about the local church and about elders or evangelists. But preparing yourself for good work as a young man is always acceptable and valuable. I think this verse implies young men should read and study this passage and in all of their building of character aspire to be used by God in noble undertakings in whatever form those tasks may take. Let me say that again. Young men should read and study this passage and in all of their building of inner character aspire to be used by God in noble undertakings in whatever form those tasks may take. One of the preachers of my youth used to say, teenage boys ought to study this passage have it talked to them, maybe even memorize it, even if they never are appointed to be an elder in later life. But notice what Paul says in the opening of our paragraph. You don't thrust yourself into leadership. You don't lobby to get a position. You don't use common political influence. You don't maneuver, demand, or campaign. Whether you ever serve as an elder or not, men should develop the kind of character reflected in these qualities. And indeed, the majority of these qualities are essential for every disciple of Christ. Now, 
As I said, I'm not going to take up each one and devote 30 minutes to each word or phrase. I'm going to go through the parts of the whole. The parts of the whole. There is the passage before you. We're going to go through the parts of the whole. Above reproach is not a description of absolute perfection, rather a man who has no pending unresolved accusations or charges that are outstanding. The husband of one wife is simply a phrase identifying a man whose marriage is in keeping with God's law of marriage. God has one law of marriage for all. The husband of one wife identifies a married man whose marriage is in keeping with God's law. Sober-minded means a man who is not impulsive, but thoughtful, good mental control, not influenced by human agendas, immediate emotions, or impulses, not inclined to take sides in destructive and immature disputes. Along with that, self-control. If a man is group-controlled, or wife-controlled, or kids-controlled, or friend-controlled, or preacher-controlled, that's not self-control. It doesn't lend itself to good spiritual leadership. Respectable simply means worthy of respect. A man who can be trusted. A man who has demonstrated responsibility. Hospitable means ready to respond to the needs of others. Now, it is certainly all right for an elder to have people in his home socially or take people out for coffee or donuts to con converse with them. But this is not so much social hospitality as we think of social hospitality in the modern world. The first century culture really didn't have a lot that compares to our social hospitality. Hospitality then was the response of a person's heart to the needs of others. And you see that in Hebrews 13, 2 and in 3 John 5. Able to teach means he can take the Word of God in hand, he can study it, digest it, make it present in his life, and then present it to others. The same expression is used in the qualifications of an evangelist in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, being able to teach. It doesn't specify a certain level of talent on some kind of comparative scale. That kind of thinking is mistaken. It is about the ability to study and learn and then take what you learn and put it in your life and then impart that to others with the book open. The instruction God has given in His Word. Not a drunkard is pretty clear. It's a further description of the idea of being sober-minded and self-controlled. Some of these all go together. Drunkenness, all of us know that's condemned in Scripture as a sin. 
Obviously, a drunkard is not qualified for spiritual leadership. In fact, any drunkard, male or female, is in trouble with God based on what God has said about intoxication. Now, this is one of those areas where we can get off track. This is not giving permission to drink just short of drunkenness. Whatever conclusion you draw about the use of alcohol, never assume permission in a phrase that prohibits. Never assume permission based on a phrase that prohibits. If the Bible says, for example, in 1 Peter 4, don't become involved in excessive fornication, that doesn't mean that a little is okay. We must never assume permission in a phrase that is prohibited. But it is certain we don't want a man leading us spiritually who's involved in intoxication. Not violent, but gentle. You know, not much commentary needed here. We know what that means. A man prone to violence who doesn't have in his heart and manner the meekness and gentleness of Christ is not a man to lead us spiritually. And likewise, fold into that not quarrelsome. If a man has a strong passion for conflict, an inordinate interest in controversy for its own sake. All of us know people who love a good fight. This rules out someone with that kind of disposition. Gossip, talk that is uncalled for in terms of scriptural attitudes, not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. None of us should be lovers of money. Uh, elders, deacons, preachers, none of us should be lovers of money. That prohibition is found in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10. Then it says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Lots of folks through the years want to load into this their own specific judgments and opinions about how to run a family and lobby for those ideas or investigate to make certain everyone suits their own individual perceptions of how their family operates. But just looking at the verse, there is simplicity that seems to be without controversy or incapable of having loaded into it Everybody's individual perceptions of how families run. You know what this is? This is a good family man, according to Scripture. It's a good family man. A man who has the same regard for marriage and family and parenting as God does. A man who has the same regard for marriage and family and parenting as God does. That doesn't mean that his family runs exactly like my family or that his function as a father perfectly matches me or my father. Paul didn't give us a sentence to load into it all of the specific judgments and perceptions and 
traditions that may be in our family background. This is a Christian who lives as a Christian in his management of his family and the raising of his children in the home. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Well, it, it is without dispute in recognizing men as elders that some judgment must be applied as to his years of experience. You have phrases like this, not a recent convert. Now, is that 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? We have to apply judgment there based on the character displayed by the man. According to Acts 14, 23, elders were appointed in churches after these men had only been Christians for a few years. Acts 14, 23. Do the chronology from Acts 6 forward and you'll see they had not been Christians very long. So when we apply the teaching of 1 Timothy 3, there are certainly areas of judgment to pray about and be careful about, but it's all based on the character that is exhibited by the man. By experience and maturity, the hallmarks of this passage become obvious. It says, well thought out or thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Now this doesn't mean that all non-Christians must agree with this man on everything. That's not going to happen. Rather, his character and reputation is not a common rumor or subject of gossip in the community. The preventive phrases here are, lest he become puffed up with conceit, verse 6, or lest he fall into disgrace, verse 7. So, this is not a, a superman. This is a good man who has demonstrated through his consistent pattern of life that he is capable of such a noble task. I have three more things I want to say about all this. Before you ever get to the specific context of spiritual leadership, you've got to get to good character. This is a description of good character. No young man can ignore anything in this list because he's young. These are the building blocks of a good man. No Christian can ignore any of the elements of this, except we, of course, don't want women to be the husband of one wife, of course. But do you see what I mean? This is basic, good, spiritually valuable maturity. And when we get locked into quibbles and controversies and impose our view of each detail, one thing that can happen is we miss the main thing. And the main thing here is character. And all the elements of the passage are harmonious descriptions of good character, of virtue, of spirituality. This is a good mature man. A description of good character. These are the kinds of men we want to lead us spiritually. 
Number two, when we focus on our expansion of the details and our responses to the more debatable parts of this historically, while those elements of the text need proper attention, be careful that you don't utterly discourage young men. If we, in our legendary discussions of this subject, make this harder than it is, more complicated, loaded with a variety of viewpoints, and all that complicated debate, we may discourage young men. Years ago, one young man said, after hearing all the debate about opinions and passion, conflict and all that, I think I know for sure I never want to be considered as an elder. We don't want that kind of impact. How sad that in our passion to lobby for our judgments, we can discourage young men from working themselves character-wise into this task and into a better life. We ought to guard against that. Three, in our comments, we must guard against any mention of specific people or local situations. Uh, a Bible class or a lobby is not the appropriate place to gather up and huddle in a group and have conversations about all this as it relates to another church or this church or a man. That doesn't lend itself to goodwill about all this at all. One more matter to bring up. What did churches do before having qualified men appointed? Can you turn with me to Acts chapter 6? Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Be sure you include verse 7. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will point to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And when what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicolor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And... The word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We don't have elders in Acts until chapter 11 where they're mentioned and in 1423 when the apostles went around the churches appointing elders. Then in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. And, of course, the Ephesians had elders. So can a church survive without elders? Well, in Acts 6 and verse 7, when these servants were appointed, 
the word elder is not used here, good work was underway and good work continued. The increase of the word of God in the lives of people took place. <clears throat> How did they do that? Good work without elders. By applying the revelation of the word of God they had from the apostles. And verse 5 reflects the consensus. Unity that was a function of good, spiritually healthy attitudes. The same pleased the whole multitude. Unity in matters of faith, we've always said. Patience in matters of opinion. Gracious, cooperative spirit documented here in Acts chapter 6. Churches can and must survive and do the Lord's work while working toward the presence of good qualified men to serve. We must do the Lord's work. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we read this passage with such care. We see the character that is commendable. May we handle any future applications of this with the demeanor and attitude that should be present in all our responses to Thee and to each other. We pray for young men, for wives and families and senior members. May all of us be united to serve thee, serve one another, keep our mind focused on what is good and right so that we arrive someday in our heavenly home. Let's be standing as we sing.